1: Case Watch deals with content meant for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Case Watch.
2: Confirming the body found in Grand Teton National Park is
0: Gabby Petito, and she was killed. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, find the defendant, Orenthal James Simpson, not guilty of the crime of murder. Late today, Chris Watts was officially charged with the murders of his wife and his two young girls. Remember these words, if it doesn't fit,
2: you must acquit. So I creep, yeah, just creeping on the down low. It's your fellow asshole creep here, Brit, transplant from Massachusetts, currently in Virginia, and you're watching Case Watch.
1: How's it going, everybody? I'm Mark. And I'm Charity. And this is a a little bit of a different case watch episode that you guys are probably used to. You may have remembered a while ago that we feel very strongly about domestic violence and what can and will go wrong, unfortunately. And this will be episode number one that we're doing in the domestic violence. So we have a special guest. Her name is Carrie Ann Connady, and she's on here to talk to us about a very important case. Let's all give her a warm welcome. Carrie Ann, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. A, I know this is very stressful for you, so take your time and the floor is yours. What would you like to speak with us today about?
3: Thank you so much, Mark and Charity, for having me. Um, Let me just start out by first sharing that I learned about you and your podcast initially through Facebook, and it caught my attention because you were speaking about uh, Gabby Petito's case. And in the experience and tragedy of that with Gabby, it brought back a lot of memories for me because I lost my sister Kira to domestic violence, homicide in 2013, her husband, Jeff Trevino, killed her. And I remember when the news first came out about Gabby and that she was missing. There wasn't even all the details. This was just right in the in the beginning of the case, really the forefront of everything. And when it came on the news, I just had this feeling, this gut feeling in the pit of my stomach. And I said to my husband, he killed her. Ugh. And um, I just, I don't know how to explain it, but I just felt s- such a compelling feeling. I have, I have experienced myself and s- so so similarly, the feelings just automatically came back to me of what I felt when my sister, when everything that happened with Kira. Um, and I had reached out to you, I'd made a comment on your page and I'm just so happy to be here. It is not frequently um, at all uh, that I've really had an opportunity to talk about this, um, to talk about everything that happened to Kira, how I navigated through it. And it is something um, that ha- ha- is haunting, haunts me every day. Um you know we celebrate the lives of people that we lose, but when we lose them so tragically, it is—you know—really an, an uprooting of your life, and then you have to learn how to live again in a different way without that person, and it is so hard. Um, on February twenty-first of two thousand thirteen. Um, Jeffrey Trevino killed my sister, Kira Steger. She was 30 years old. Um, Kira and I were only 14 months apart, um, or as I say, close in age. Um, And I'm going to tell you about how I learned about Kira being missing. Okay. I'm gonna start there, because obviously that's when this tragedy, this experience began. Uh, really, it's just actually a big nightmare. But um, on, on uh, February 24th, which was a Sunday, I was working at a clinic, um, a healthcare clinic. Um, I was managing a retail health clinic at the time. And I had an occasional provider coming in that didn't know the computer system. So I had gone in on a Sunday, which was not normal, but I would do it when I needed to. And as I was in the office, I received a text message from a friend of mine that I went to high school with, who was also friends with Kira. And it said, "Um, I heard your sister's missing, which seems like a very odd way to learn that you're sister is missing by someone, not a family member, but someone that is a mutual friend sending you a message. And immediately I, I had no idea what she was talking about. And she referenced a missing person's photo um, or notice rather that was on Facebook. Now, you know, I mean, 2013, I wasn't really a heavy user of Facebook. We all used social media back then so differently. Yes. Um. But I did go on social media on Facebook, and sure enough, there was a picture, um, a missing person's picture with Kira's name, the car that she had, contact information, etc. And immediately, yeah, immediately, I was like, "What is going on?"
1: And you and your sister so, were close.
3: Yeah.
2: Yes, um, I can't imagine finding out that way.
3: It was ter- It was just terrible. It didn't even seem real. Let's just talk. Let's just say that it just seemed yeah. like this can't be
1: right. That happens so to other people. Already. Yeah, I, I'm trying not to interrupt you, but it's just I find it so hard that you found out from Facebook and not from a a family member or her at that point her husband.
3: Right, which is what I said. So um, immediately when I this now this all happened very quickly on us on the Sunday morning, the twenty fourth of February. Um, it all happened so quickly. So obviously that didn't make sense to me. I called our mom, and I was like, "What's going on?" I'm hearing that there's in in she in. Our mother, Marcy, she was like, Yeah, Jeff called me this morning. He asked, the first thing he said to me, Carrie Ann, was, He asked me if I was sitting down. I mean, which is just a very peculiar peculiar thing Strange. to introduce a phone call, like to the mother of someone who's missing. Like, it you would think that it would sound something like, Marcy, is Kira with you? Is Kira there? Like, right. she's been missing. I'm freaking See, that's out. That's what's right? in
2: my head as well. Me too. Like, that is very odd.
3: So if when someone you love so much were to really to go missing, would you not want to stand on the highest mountain and scream at the top of your lungs for someone, for everyone to help you?
1: Absolutely.
3: And it wasn't that way. It wasn't that way. Um, Jeff had told Marcy that Jira had been missing since the, the morning of the 22nd. So, 22nd, 23rd, 24th.
1: And now you found out.
3: Is when, yes, That's and then odd. I found out.
1: That's really odd.
3: So, what was interesting is Jeff made a missing persons call to the police department. Um, he had put the missing persons report under her maiden name.
2: Oh, wow. So this was
3: intentional and I'm going to tell you about what happened. so I talked with Marcy and our mom talked with Marcy and I said, this does not make any sense. Like Kira has been missing. He hasn't called us. Um, What he said was odd. And I am no homicide investigator or forensic type of analyzer whatsoever. But what I do know is I know people well. Um, This was an extremely terrible feeling that I had. And I got done talking with Marcy and I had Jeff's number, I I just called him. I called him at the clinic, I put everything aside and I had about, so I called him, okay. And I said, I was surprised that he answered my phone call so quickly. I mean, he answered it very quickly. Um, but, I you know, I'm like, at well, least he answered. Could have been. So I, it's, it's, it's insane the way um, things happened from that point on. Because it was like, I was, in fact. Like, I knew something was wrong. I had a terrible... Feeling, um, And it was almost like I, I stepped into an investigator type of analysis in my conversation with him. Like I said, Jeff, I want to know what happened from Thursday, February 21st to right now. And I just let him talk. And I had about 20 post-its in front of me. I just kept taking them and writing. And what I heard was well, she's been drinking a lot. She's been out. She's been hanging out with her friends too much. She comes home late. She, um you know, she's not herself.
2: Um, it was all of this. Blaming. A lot of victim
1: blaming. Blaming. That, yeah.
2: And when there's whenever there's too much information right up front like that, that's when you, I would get suspicious of that. Like, why is he all of a sudden offering all this up? It's, right. it's weird.
3: And I'm like, again, in my head, I'm thinking how I felt right. Cause I love her. Um, and I just could not connect with him at all. And I, I said, Jeff, this does not sound like my sister. And he said, you know what, Carrie Ann, I loved Kira. I thought I knew her.
1: Wait a minute. Oh, and, he oh, said love us.
3: past tense. Exactly.
1: And oh. I said,
3: I won't say the F word on here, but I said, why the F are you speaking about my sister in the past tense?
2: Oh, my gosh. And let me tell you. Did your heart drop? It must have dropped.
3: Yes, but I knew. It, uh. I knew then that it was really bad. And in, in my initial thought was he had her in the basement. So I said, why did, why did you speak about my sister in the past tense? And he lost it. He was yelling at me. He was swearing at me. Um, He tried to correct what he had said. Of course. And I said, I know what you said. I got off that phone call. I looked at the Facebook missing persons report. And I called the number. I called the number that he set up for a missing persons report. I called the number. And they answered. And I said, I'm Carrie Ann. Um, I'm I'm Kira Steger Kira Trevino's sister. And um, there's a missing persons report for her. She's been missing. Her husband called in a missing persons report, and they said we don't have a missing persons report
2: for Kira Trevino. You're kidding?
3: No. And I said yes, you do. And they're like, Carrie on. we we don't. We do not have one. And I'm like, what What's going on? Like this is crazy. It just get, It just was so overwhelming and kept getting worse so, so quickly, you know, you, you know, then situations like this time is so important. And when you want things to happen to like progress to where you can, can feel like you're helping, helping someone that's in danger. The time is like, feels like a second is like an eternity. And I, I just was like, no, there, there is, there is. It's almost like, you, I was just like pleading, like begging them to, help me so then they asked me if there was another name that she would have been under and so i said kira stager and and then they found her so when he called in the missing persons report he put it under her maiden name intentionally because the missing persons report on facebook said kira trevino and anyone that would have seen anything um like me would have had difficulty getting through but luckily Um, I I added, you know, I added Stager and I said, anyone, anyone that calls with Kira Trevino, Kira Stager, Kira K, you you know, you must take it. Like, so they added that on there. Um, And then after I did that, because I knew, I knew that it was bad. I had called Kira's friend, Lindsay, and I um, had asked her if she would travel that night, February 24th. Which was a Sunday, to their home, to Kira and Jeff's home. Um. Well, first, actually, first I called and asked for a welfare check on the home because I thought that he had her in the basement. Uh. Like for some reason, some picture in my mind was so compelling that, like, that he had her downstairs in the basement. You, you know, your mind is so many crazy. Things not not crazy. I guess it's it's not crazy. It's relative to to the experience of a traumatic experience. It's it, it's actually really reasonable. But um, I just kept picturing do- her down in the basement, like in a wall. Oh, that's a horrible, um,
2: horrible thing to think of. Yeah. Ugh. Um. But anyway,
3: um, so I called the welfare check on, check on the home. And, um, then I was talking with Lindsay, Kira's friend, a mutual friend of mine and Kira's, but, um, she she was just teaching a dance class that night and she couldn't go. Now, we could probably all agree that that wouldn't have been the safest place for me to be. Um, I'm, I'm actually, I'm glad it didn't work out, um, for me to go because... But I just like like I said, you know, you want to scream at the mountaintops. You want to, you just want to t- turn the world upside down to find to find her and help and anyway, that didn't work out. So the next morning we traveled um, my mining. Well, my dad, mine, mine and Kira's dad, um, and my mom and my aunt flew up from Texas. We all went to, um, we traveled to the Mall of America because our car was found there. Her car was found parked in the Mall of America parking lot where she had worked. She worked there. Um, she was a store manager. And had worked at the Mall of America, and um, we had gotten to the mall, and they let us know that Kira's car was reverse-parked in a parking stall, and there was blood in the trunk of the vehicle.
2: Oh, no. Oh, boy.
3: And when her car was found, her um, purse was there. Um, she had divorce, divorce papers in her car. Um, there was a trunk liner that was pulled out of the back of her Chevy Cobalt car that was tossed, um, in the embankment behind the, the reversed parked car. Um, there was an embankment, so he had taken the trunk liner out and threw it out,
2: um, and he just left it there. He just left it there. That's not. That wasn't very smart. Obviously.
1: Now, you, and you, you said that the car was parked. You know, reverse, backed in. Is that how she would normally park the car if she was driving?
3: No, and the investigators asked mm-hmm. me that.
1: Okay, because yeah. that that's something that stuck out to me. Yeah, me too.
3: Yeah. Well, and it was it was weird that her car was there. Kira had and the. the Previous few months prior to her death, Um, there were a number of things that were happening to her car in the Mall of America parking lot. She would come out of work and she'd have a flat tire. Hmm. She would come out of work and one time she had a cut brake line.
2: Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah.
3: But you see, this was all his. Making
0: sure she have money to leave him. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for 129 each, then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $249 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger less than five miles away, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
3: Things weren't going well. They were um, separated but living in the same house. And um, it it wasn't going well uh, two weeks prior to her death. She called, Kira called our parents and asked them for money to get her own place because she didn't have a lot of extra money. And they both told her that they didn't have any money to give to her.
2: That's really, really sad. Yeah. Um, But I,
3: it just, it just was terrifying. So we were there, we were meeting with, the detectives, I mean, I saw where her car was parked. We were there for a few days. It just was unbelievable. When they did the welfare check on Jeff, um, the police came to the door. And he had a bunch of cleaning supplies behind him.
2: Oh, my gosh. Oh, Wow.
3: So he had, um, he had been cleaning, um, so February 21st, he had killed her, um, he then, I believe it was the next day, went and picked up his daughter, they had, Jeff had a daughter who was in, I believe, middle school, and... He picked her up from school, brought her home, made jambalaya, and was cleaning the house with her there.
2: Oh, oh my, my god! god. I, I, oh my god!
1: This is psychotic behavior. Animal.
2: I was just going to say this is an animal. Mm-hmm. Did the? I, I'm, I'm sure, I don't want to jump ahead for you, but oh. were the police actively like? Did they take him in?
3: Um. Not at that time. They did get okay. a search warrant and everything. That's right, they'd um, so have the, to
2: go the steps.
3: Yeah, so the next few days, <clears throat> um, everything happened so, well, I mean slowly, but so quickly. Um, they got, I think obviously because when they did the welfare check, and s- they saw, you know, that he had cleaning supplies and everything else, and um, again, his affect his behavior just was off. It wasn't what we know or how we would react if one of our loved ones were missing. It just was so flat Mm. um, and rehearsed. So um, over the next few days, so they did get a search warrant. They searched the home, they luminaled the home Um, When they were luminoling the home, you know, and that's that stuff like on, you know, like the murder, whatever shows, whatever that they, that shows blood with the, with the black light. Um, so they did that and they found blood all over the home. I had seen some of the photos of it. Oh no. Um, and they... It's 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 believed that he had killed Kira in their bedroom. Um, what he did was um, move all of the after he cleaned everything up, cleaned the carpet, wiped things down. He moved his bed over what was the outline of Kira's torso in blood. Oh, my God. my God. Over that spot on the carpet. Now, to the naked eye, you wouldn't see that. Even even with, right? Because he had cleaned it. Oh, yeah. But you could see, you know, like when you move your furniture. Yeah, you can kind of see those little divots in the carpet. Yeah. So you could see where the furniture was. So if you move everything back to where the original imprints you know pressure points in the carpets were then they lifted up the carpet and they they found that
2: oh, oh my god um,
3: you know with their along with their other um, luminol so as the police were luminoling the home Jeff was at uh one of their Kieran Jeff had a mutual had a friend that lived down the street so he was there he sat there um and he kept saying things like, well, what if, you know, Kira, Kira's, sometimes Kira gets bloody noses.
2: Oh, what if they, God.
3: You know, like,
2: um. He was trying to make excuses because he knew what they were going to f- find there.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or, now, it just, it upsets me because if you look at a person who actually cares about somebody and they go missing, that's not what they're thinking of. They're nope. thinking about what can I do to help my loved one. Yep.
3: Yeah, and, and he sat there, talked about that, talked about, oh, what if she cut her legs shaving, um, bloody noses, and then, and then, and then he took a nap.
1: Oh, my God. Are you kidding? Yeah. No. No. I, this guy's a scumbag. Just plain and simple. Yes, he this is. This guy is a scumbag.
2: And a pretty oh. not intelligent one.
3: Um and this is just I'm just sharing you know the facts from
0: from the case
3: this is just this is out there these are these are not you know this is out there
1: yep and the reason why why when we first started talking that I wanted to make sure we did this because there's multiple outcomes that can come out of domestic violence and this Mm -hmm. is the ultimate worst one but this is one that happens and if we can do anything by getting out a little bit of a message or getting things out to people that hear this who don't have the strength to leave or don't understand what could happen or you you hear it a lot on tv and you hear it a lot from people like he, he wouldn't do that to me or that wouldn't happen here or no, no, you know, you know, he apologized or this or that this is what can happen. So if this gives anybody the strength to get help or leave, that's why we're doing this. And that's why when you had sent that message to me, I was like, can we discuss this? And we have been, and I'm so happy that you're here because you can tell the story now. And I, I just, I'm so thankful that you've come on.
3: Yeah. I'm, I, that too is my wish. Um, because this stuff sucks. It's it is terrible to live through. I mean, I don't have my sister here with me anymore, which is absolutely heartbreaking. But I do believe and I have heard of situations that Kira's story has impacted people to leave an abusive relationship. And so The message is so important. Um, It is, so I agree with you, Mark. Um, It's not an easy story to tell, but it needs to be told. So um, yeah, so they they got the warrant, they liminaled the house. They ended up taking Jeff in, which for the first time just a couple of months ago from an ID channel um, production that was put together. I saw his interrogation, part of his interrogation. Um,
1: Oh, so you um, weren't privy to any of this up until recently. Oh, wow.
3: Not that, not that piece. I did not see everything, you know? So that's another thing. I mean, years later, we just, we just had Kira's ninth anniversary of her death. Believe it or not, nine years. February 21st so there have been a couple of productions put out by the ID Channel um, investigative discovery uh, that the the second one here the most current one they had asked me if I wanted to be a part of but the reality is um, I feel it's just safer for me um, healthiest for me and my family to, um, I just didn't. It's 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 so difficult to to talk about and live through um, that. And when you see these productions, and there are people that are acting as the person you knew, yeah, yeah. and loved, it's really difficult to to watch that. Um, and so I just. It's just better for me if I continue working on advocacy and education than stressing myself out, um, you know, to being a part of that. I think that there's probably, you know, some really good, very congruent um, purposes, you know, for making that production. I just, it's just not for me personally to participate in, that's all.
1: And
2: I understand um, that. Yeah, me too. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, but, anyhow, anyway, so um, after obviously they had done the warrant and the luminal, they had taken Jeff in. Um, he was arrested. Um, and I can't remember what they held him on initially um, because obviously we didn't have Kira. Um, she was missing for. Um, a number of months. So she did, she was killed on February 21st. We did not find her until May 8th.
2: Oh my gosh. Oh, wow.
3: So I had spent many weekends back and forth. And, and might I add here that for some, not to make, I mean, to, well, to make matters worse, the, the winter that we had in Wisconsin and Minnesota that year were were absolutely terrible. So we had orchestrated all of these searches and what was like what was so phenomenal was the number of people whom I've never met showed up hundreds of them.
2: Yeah, people rally. There's good people out there.
3: Such good people. Yep. And if any of them are listening to this today, thank
2: you so
3: much because it was so cold and there was so much snow in it. You just, you realize at that point in time when you're doing, when you're having to put yourself in a position where you realize that you're searching for someone who is not alive anymore. We were told that. We were, we were told that based on the amount of blood in the home, the cure would not be found alive.
2: That's horrible. That is so horrible.
3: And we were led to the first search I ever was a part of was at Keller Lake, um, which was not even five miles away from their home. And I was on my way to Minnesota and I got a call that something had been found at Keller Lake and my granddad and my uncle um, had flown up from Louisiana, like just for this, just for this um, particular search to just start searching. And, there's so many unexplainable things that have happened through the process of what happened with Kira, how we found things, how we were led to certain places um, that are just truly what I think are like just an act of um, God. I,
1: Someone was leading the way.
3: Yep. Yeah. And I, I think my sister was, too. Um, so my granddad had actually, so at Keller Lake, my granddad was, um, doing a search and he was like in a embankment on the side of the road and he found something and it was like a Walmart bag, you know, like a little plastic Walmart bag kind of tied, right? Yep. So he picks it. He picks it up. Now, they're very particular. Obviously, when you're doing a search like this, don't touch anything that, you know. But, you know, being that it's all bag, you don't necessarily think immediately anything about it. So he used his stick that he was holding and he put it on. He scooped the hand part of the bag and brought it to the side of the road. And he started opening it up. But he couldn't quite see well, so he took took his stick, picked it back up, took the bag to the other side of the road where the sunlight was shining, and set it down, and opened it up. And he thought what was in the bag, he thought was dried up intestines.
2: Oh my gosh.
1: Oh wow.
3: It wasn't. It was a pillow, a bloody pillowcase, um, sports bra, um, a loofah sponge and it, it was just dried blood. Wow. So that's, and so then the BCA came, which is the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. They came and they brought their, it was almost like a mobile home. It looked like a mobile home. It was like a big mobile unit. And they had tested it for human blood and it came back positive. So we got very direct instructions from there on out from the BCA um, and moving forward with the search there, because obviously that was, um, you know, a compelling piece of evidence that very well led us to believe that that we could, as a collective unit group, find something else or her. Oh, yeah. So we, you know, we, we got together and we coordinated, you know, this group to go east, this group to go west, north, south, like we just needed to cover coverage of the whole area. So as we progressed in this search at Keller Lake, um, one of the groups got to um, a, a section of the lake where... Um, off of the, um, off of the edge of the lake, onto the ice, about you know a few a few, you know I don't know the exact number, but feet a few feet out, there was a hole, in the ice, but it wasn't like an ice auger hole, you know yeah. it was it was um, it wasn't. It was very suspicious. The shape of it, the size of it. Um, and what happened from that point was the, in, the um, investigator unit, police unit that was covering the case um, ended up bringing in a cadaver dog. To that site, and when a cadaver dog, at least to the best of my knowledge, um, when they detect um, a deceased person, they react by sitting. Um, and the dog sat. Oh man! Oh no! And well, you know, I want to. I, I, this is a, I, there's a really important piece I I, I left out here. I want to tell you what led us to Killer Lake for the, it was a tip. It was a tip on the tip line that led us to Keller Lake. And the tip was, a woman was bartending, um, working at like a bartending restaurant kind of thing. And she was on her way home. So it was late, um, you know, it was after bar close. And she was driving past, um, on the road overlooking the lake. And she said that she had seen what looked like two people carrying a rolled up carpet over the lake.
2: Two people. Two, okay. Two. That's interesting.
3: Very. Um, so we, that's what, that's where the tip, the first tip that led us to Keller Lake came in. So that's why we were there, was because of her tip. Now when I got there, after my granddad had found these, you know, articles of evidence are, I don't know, I don't like calling them what they really are. So there you have it, articles of evidence. Um, when I got there, the woman that made the tip was there. And she, she uh, one of Kira and my friends, um, Nikki, it was me and Nikki Um, Nikki's husband, Justin, and we were just standing there and we were talking to her. And she, the woman was asking like, where did Kira live like from here? And, And I was explaining that it was just, you know, a couple of miles away. She said, oh, you know, I grew up over here. And I was like, oh wow, you know, Is like so obviously so close to home in the in its literal meaning, um, and she's like, "Well, what what street did she live on?" And you know, I told her, and um, she's like, "Oh my gosh, that's the street I grew up on, right?" And I'm like, "Well, that's something." Um, and she's like, "Well, what you know, what number? What, what's the house number?" And at the time I told her what it was and, and it turns out that that's the house, the house that Kira oh got
2: my in. Oh my God. The
3: house that she grew up in, the woman that called the tip in. And I know this is absolutely like,
2: I have the chills right now.
1: Yeah. That's unbelievable.
3: To this day, probably once or twice a year, I call Nikki, my friend Nikki. And I'm like, Nikki, that really happened, right? Like, that, because it's so, your mind, like... So much of so, a coincidence. It's so much of a, like, yeah. it's so much of a coincidence. And when your mind and traumas, all these things are happening, you're like, okay, but did I get that right? Like, is that... And, and I just, to this day, it just absolutely boggles me. Um,
1: that is some sort of divine intervention right there. Definitely, that was the same thing. Wow.
3: And it was just like, wait a minute, what? Not, like, I just... I don't even know. It just brings me to being speechless to, to every time I think about it. Um, So the woman that called in the tip, she actually helped, she stayed, she helped search for a while and it just was something, something else. But we had searched weekend after weekend. Um, The cadaver dogs, they ended up flying in cadaver dogs from all over the United States, many of them. And we, as a group, we, Everyone, you know, everyone then were bringing their ice augers like to Keller Lake because we genuinely thought that he put her in there, that he put her, you know. So I mean, we had we had divers. The lake was so shallow; it was a very shallow lake. So when you when you can take into consideration, you know, the inches of ice that they are under to how the depth of the actual lake itself, there was not much space. For them to dive around. I mean, it was. They went. They they um, ended up taking turns and whatnot. But we didn't. We didn't find her there. Um, but when we were done searching at that lake, there were hundreds and hundreds of ice auger holes that all of the community came together to, so that we'd have different points of like contact throughout the ice for the dogs to check out, you know? Um, it it really is like, you realize in, in a situation like this, just how big the world really is. Like when you're really looking for a needle in a haystack, really looking, that's what it feels like. Like you're just this one little person trying to find your sister with all of these unknown, unknown everything, really, all of the unknown, it is terrifying. And Jeff was not helping us.
2: Oh, that was my next question. Yeah, it's, it's so upsetting. He, he, he was probably tight-lipped as anything, right?
3: Yeah, nothing.
2: No remorse, nothing. I mean, how can you just let family members be in such pain like that when you know where she was?
1: That's what bothers me probably the most out of all of these kind of situations is how he's the one who actually holds the keys to all of this. And he's just living life fine. And just watching people who I'm assuming maybe at one point he supposedly cared about go through a pain that cannot be described to anybody and just not care. I, that, I find that just absolutely amazing.
3: It was very cold. Um, you know, Jeff had, had always been to me a little bit different. Um, you know, we we would be out to dinner as a family and taking a picture, you know, of everyone at the dinner table, but he would never smile. Huh. And finally I just asked because that's, that's how I roll. Um, I'm like, Jeff, why don't you ever smile in these pictures? Like you're not smiling in any of these photos. And he told me, he said, I only smile when I laugh. That's odd. And I was like, that's freaking weird. And I walked out of, you know, dinner, like why, what is she doing? Um, they had met at a bar actually. Kira was bartending at the time and Jeff was in town because he was um, a drywaller, which is another reason um, I thought she was in the basement wall of her home.
2: Oh, because he wouldn't know how to do that. Yeah.
3: Ugh. Um, and they had met when he was in town. And ultimately, uh, you know, Kira was living with me at the time when she came home from college for a year. I let her live with me. Um, and they started dating and she went to Minnesota and started working there and they moved in together and um you know later got married and then i just i didn't see her as much anymore he certainly you know kept mm-hmm. kept her to himself yeah we've heard so. this
1: a lot yeah it's kind of follows the same that mo he you hear a yeah. lot yeah, yeah.
2: um how, how long were they together in total, how many years do you think? Um,
3: I don't remember exactly I, they got married in two thousand eight, I believe. okay. you know it's i I haven't even thought about that for so long that yep. I don't. but they were, they were I don't
1: a, blame you for never wanting to think of him again. I know I don't blame yeah. you at all.
3: yeah. Well, I get to think about when he gets out of prison um, on June 26th of 2031. He'll be six years old, but we'll get there in a minute.
1: Oh, my God. Wait, um, you, you said gets out. I think we all need to show up at that
2: hearing. Yeah. That is horrendous.
1: Unacceptable.
2: Yeah. Oh,
3: my so, God. You know, There's it's no it's reason like, he should be Not allowed. only. Right. it will not only that. Not only we as a family have to live this trauma. Yep. We've lost Kira. We have to live this trauma. And now we have to be afraid of his getting out of prison. And how, I mean, I, I calculate, how old will my children be?
2: Oh, I bet.
3: Um, and he, I know, I mean, I will never forget how mad he was with me on the phone. And I had to stand in front of a judge and testify about that. And he did not like it. Wow. And I live in fear.
1: As you it should.
2: Is, yeah, it is.
3: Um, it's a it's a terrible feeling to not ever be free of that kind of fear. Um. So, we had searched and searched, and there was there was a period um, where, because of the charges, that we were going to make um, against jeff and the timing of everything of still not yet having found kira her her body um, there was a point where because of like something with like double jeopardy law and this and that like we almost had to let him go like let him oh. out oh my god of jail. and i just i just remember praying 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 so much about it Um, and 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 then Kira we found her and then we found her on May 8th and it was maybe we had days to spare like a few days to spare before we would have had to let him out it came that close
2: that's scary
3: it really was everything was even
2: with all the blood in the house though like uh, uh, they couldn't hold him on that
1: well, they could well, probably they, hold them on it, but I get what she's saying. Whereas they without a it, body, it makes it very oh, hard. I, I
2: know, I bet. Could but. you
1: expand a little bit on uh, the discovery of your sister?
3: Yeah. So um, on May 8th, she was found in the Mississippi River. Hmm. Um, she was found by a barge worker downtown Minneapolis, um, St. Paul, Minneapolis. Uh, and when she was found, I actually was at work that day and I had gotten a call that they found a body in the water, um, believed to be a female that had blonde hair. Oh, wow. And it in fact was her. And after, through, through all that time, she really didn't travel far, like from, she, she was actually caught on the barge. Um, they identified her by her dental records and they went into, you know, I mean, I later learned about her injuries and how they believed Kira died. Um, We learned about that through the medical examiner. And ultimately, um, they believed that She had, um, so she had a deep, um, laceration above her left eye, like very, very deep. She, um, the inside of her mouth, you know, was damaged. Um, she had a broken finger, not, not, not at a joint part, like in, in the middle. Oh my God.
1: Oh my God. Like,
3: like maybe she was like. Had her finger out at him, like they got in an argument. Um, She had um, damage, like ultimately there was like damage to her liver, Um, like some things. She was she was found with duct tape. Oh my god! Around her in the water, Um, and they they believe what happened is that. It's the night of February twenty first, and how everything, especially with the video surveillance and everything matching up, that's how they—that's how they put this timeline together. He picked up Kira f- from work. They went to Crave, and what he was trying to do was create this date night,
1: creating a whole alibi story yep. for himself. This is obviously I, something that he's premeditated. Yeah, we were a happy couple. We went on date night.
3: Yeah, we went on date night, but he knew that she was thinking about not wanting to be in the marriage anymore. So he was trying to like win her back or something like I'm going to try and take her to dinner. There were some text messages that he had had with a buddy. And but what's odd is, you know, I think think, well, I would say it would be reasonable for most people to like go on a date night, like have dinner, go home, watch a movie. But no. So for him, there were all of these things he planned in one night. Like you would never really do all of these in one night, or at least I certainly wouldn't, but they went to dinner. There was a movie, um, something about I think there was like a bowling thing or
2: something. Like it just was Yikes, that's a lot of activity. You're talking like fun a week's worth of stuff for
1: night. me. That's yeah, ridiculous. Just,
2: it sounds yeah. like he wanted to be seen a lot of places with her bingo. having quote unquote. I think fun. that's what it is, yep.
1: bingo.
3: So they rented a movie, and they got home and watched this movie, and Kira had been texting. Um, she, had, <clears throat> she had actually been texting her general manager at the time, uh, which was a male that she um, had been talking to. Now, Kira and Jeff, yes, they were married. They were separated in their own house. But anyway, um, and I think that we we think that Jeff just got so upset and just snapped. Mm. Um, but he ultimately, you know, they went into her injuries and detailed her, her injuries. And, um, ultimately, you know, I, she was, he, he smothered her with the pillow, Ugh! but she fought, she fought him his picture has scratches on his body and she i know that she fought really hard
1: this is horrible
3: um it is horrible um She was just the most beautiful person. And it's really difficult to have her not here for so many things. And um, I had wondered, you know, and continue to wonder for so many years now, you know, you think Did she, did she hurt for a long time? Um. What was she, what happened? You know, you, I, I think, you know, like how does evil win that?
2: Um. The sad thing I kind of want to say is with a lot of these cases that I've read up on, it sounds similar. Whereas Mark stated earlier, some of these abuse survivors or not survivors, unfortunately, they're embarrassed. They might feel it's their fault. So they don't tell their family members. They don't tell their loved ones. They don't reach out to anybody. And unfortunately, situations like this can occur.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I wish she would have called me because although I was, a, you know, I just had two babies at the time. Um, I didn't have a lot of extra money, but I would have. Which, you know what? I would have helped her, but that's not even a guarantee that this
2: still wouldn't have happened. Right. That's true.
1: Unfortunately, you're right there. Yeah. Sometimes if
2: it, it, it still happens. You may
1: have actually not only not prevented this, you may have put yourself in danger as well. That's
2: the, I was just, and your children. I was thinking that as well. Yeah.
1: It's a horrible situation And this. um, I don't even want to, I can't even call him a gentleman. This, this scumbag, he's already proven that he would take the life of somebody he supposedly loved and, Last I knew when you you know you're in a marriage you you're you're supposed to love, honor, and respect that person you're supposed to and it's just absolutely un- unacceptable, and i I honestly think that maybe even if you had gotten her away, you would have put yourself and children in danger maybe, as well.
2: I mean, yeah, someone that violent like that would go all, to all, all different lengths to keep his yes. person close to him unacceptable. You know. mm-hmm.
3: Which, you know, I, I know, I know who he is. That's why it's so much on my, so much on my heart. And it's so much just, I guess, on my, on my being of the future, you know? So he, um, he was sentenced to he didn't get first degree intentional homicide. Um which I I was a little bit surprised because there were there were premeditated actions. Oh my gosh, Um, going off set up the whole
1: night as a cover almost.
3: And and before a few weeks before he killed Kira, he went this is absolutely Madness, but just like everything else, um, it's true. So he went to Marcy's house, our mother Marcy's house, and borrowed her carpet cleaner
2: because oh they were going to be mm-hmm, oh.
3: because because they were going to be moving out of that home in April. Now, April, okay, February, April.
1: Yeah, you're you not going to clean the it then.
3: Cleaner. He used my mother's carpet cleaner to clean up after Oh my
2: gosh. I I am just... I don't have any words for that. I don't either. He has his comeback.
1: Well, he's a lot more than that, but... Yes.
3: So... He got, he was sentenced to 27 and a half years. How? In prison. How does this happen?
1: This is unacceptable.
3: Well, and get this. So the defense was originally asking. So he got second degree unintentional murder with three accounts of aggravating factors, which was also considered by the judge, which then um, allowed for what's called an upward departure, which is an additional... um, Additional sentencing because of these uh, components. And for second degree unintentional murder alone in the state of Minnesota, it's seven to 10 years in prison.
2: That's it?
1: I'm sorry, the whole
3: unintentional component
1: of this is unacceptable. unacceptable. There there was every bit of intention here.
3: Oh my God. I agree you don't also hold a pillow under over someone's face. No, that correct.
2: Mark, you've said this many, many times when that, that's a very personal way to kill somebody. Absolutely. It yep. is. It,
1: it's a position of authority. It's a position of power yep. that yep. you're exerting over somebody else. Yep. This yeah. is, and maybe for the better, I, 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 I hate saying that like this, but maybe for the better, we don't know all the exact situations because this is, probably was a lot worse than yeah. we, we actually know. Yep. And this is horrible. And I can't, this is why I'm so happy that you're able to tell your sister's story because this is a story that hopefully will end up helping somebody. Yes. It's just unacceptable. And I, I was slightly familiar with your sister's case because when you had first reached out to me, I did the quick Google search and stuff like that. And then once you said you were willing to come on, I said, at that point, I didn't watch the show. I didn't do any additional yeah. research on it me because neither. I wanted to hear the story from you in an unbiased form. And mm. this is absolutely unbelievable. And I, I'm just happy that you're able to tell the story and basically advocate for people all over the the world, basically. Yep. I just can't believe he's going to get out. That threw me for a loop. When you said that I, I this is, this is unacceptable. Well,
3: it is unacceptable. And it, it's, it throws me for a loop too. Still. I mean, imagine I don't know. I don't even want to say that to you.
2: Is there anything but, that can be done to keep him in there? Is there any. I, I, I get.
3: A parent, they told me that we'll get updates. And they may put him like on an ankle bracelet or something. <gasps> oh my I'm God. Say I'm, I say mean, mm-hmm.
2: mm. There has but to be some sort of like there. petition or something. I mean, my gosh, this is not well, acceptable. You well, if there's nothing that we can somebody. do
1: for him, hopefully maybe we can do something in, in honor of your sister that yes. maybe helps change these laws and allows us to be this. He should never see the light of day again. Yep. He should never leave the grounds of that prison alive. It's unacceptable.
3: No, I don't understand how that, you know, in each state is so different. I mean, some states have capital punishment. Some people yeah. like it's so different. Um, but it's just, it re victimizes us over as and over. Over and over and over again. Mm
1: -hmm. Now, is that Um, date set in stone or is there a possibility of like release early?
3: Well, I believe so. So, you know, they do get time off for good behavior. That's
1: what I was wondering because it's not even as much. So and then it could be like early release on parole or this is what this is. This is not okay, guys. This is not acceptable.
3: No, I don't. I don't know, Mark. You know, I. I was just, you know, I have a I have a a cardboard box with every newspaper clipping every all of the materials I have a booklet of the actual trial like dictation, you know, stuff. Um and it's gross, the you know, the defense paint, painted this picture of not only did he kill her, but then his defense attorney made her look like a person she was not. Which
1: it was. Yeah, it makes me so that mad when they me do sick that. When they do that, they're trying to Unreal. make it her fault. Unacceptable. Yeah,
2: right. Just that's totally. They, they blame the victim. Yep.
3: Unfair. I mean, I mean, truly creating just fictitious a fictitious storyline that doesn't doesn't even make sense it's not even who she is I mean Jeff um, had planted some marijuana in her purse and remember her purse was found in the car
2: oh yes that's right oh yeah
3: so Kira did not do drugs she would she would drink alcohol socially um her toxic but even report if she but even if she examiner, did.
1: But even if she did, that's not an acceptable excuse. No. Well,
3: right. But what they did was they said, well, Jeff didn't do this. This was a drug deal gone bad. She was oh, probably killed on. by a drug dealer. For, come on.
2: For, for pot in her purse. Okay, wow. then what explains the blood? Well, in his house.
3: Right. So, there's nothing like, you Jeff, can do to explain what that. What are you doing? Like, so, and that's kind of what the, our um, prosecuting attorneys were saying. Like, so someone just came in the house. Killed, killed somebody, killed Kira, and have all well, this you water home. all over the house. And, cleaned and you your house, there, moved your
1: and bedroom they, around. They
3: cleaned it up. They cleaned it up, though, before you got home. And then, so, I mean, it just is so wild. And
1: Yeah, they cleaned it up. They moved your bedroom around, and you didn't question yeah. why.
2: Yeah, Give me a break.
1: This is, un- I'm this still is ridiculous. Stu- I'm still
2: stuck on the it wasn't premeditated thing. That yeah. really, really bothers me to the
1: core. I'm stuck on the fact that he's going to get out. So I, oh my God. Unacceptable. Who knows? It, it's just what's in this guy's head. What's been stewing in his head for the, you know, what we're going to be these 26, 27 years.
2: Has he reached out to anybody? No. Has he done interviews with anybody? Mm-mm. That's good. No. Unbelievable. I, I still,
3: and, and you know what? Um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to like some things with his family in a little bit but um so he yeah so he was sentenced i do want to share that when the sentencing hearing occurred um i had an opportunity to um read an impact statement to judge castro and um i i'm gonna read that here today
2: okay good Excellent. um
3: and I haven't pulled this out in a while, so... Um, but I, I was able to read an impact statement to, to, to convey how this tragedy, how Jeff murdering my sister has impacted my life and ask the judge to hear me and take into consideration my words and put that into his sentencing okay which is the most important thing i've done in my lifetime and i when i when i knew i was going to be given this opportunity i didn't know where to start i didn't know how to put on paper away to one very last time protect my sister and get her justice. I didn't know where to begin, but I knew it was going to be the most important thing I'd ever do. Um, and so I'm going to read that. I'm going to read that to you. Um, On October 2nd, 2013, after 17 hours over two days, the Ramsey County District Court jury convicted Jeffrey Trevino for the murder of my sister, Kira Stager. The sentencing hearing for Trevino followed several months later. I was given an opportunity to prepare and read aloud a victim impact statement to the honorable judge at the hearing prior to the sentence delivery. I felt agonizing pressure to prepare something so influential to the sentencing. I persisted as I knew it was going to be the very last time I could protect my sister. Although difficult, I knew I had to do it for her I wasn't gonna let her down. I was able to fight for her justice and I would not fail. I remember feeling as though writing a powerful statement to help Kira was likely the most important thing I'd ever do in my entire life. I never imagined defending the life of someone so wrongfully taken and having that person be my very own sister. My heart was so heavy. As much as I wanted to write, my brain tried so hard to shield me from the indescribable heartache I had experienced. It wasn't even possible for me to conjure up my feelings until two days prior to my delivery in court. When I was ready, I wrote Literally, I wrote for two straight days and nights. The fact, I'm sorry, in fact, I was still writing in the car on the way to Minnesota for the hearing. I wanted to ensure that the calculated criminal was appropriately tried for what he had done to Kira. I put myself out there in a statement I wrote about how Kira's murder had impacted my life. I wrote wrote my heart out. I let the love I have for my sister pour out of my soul into my mechanical pencil and onto my floral stationery. Many tears flooded my eyes, often having to blink to clear my tears so I could see my paper again as it waited for me so patiently. While in court, to preface the reading of my statement, I asked the honorable judge if I may approach the bench. He agreed. As I took my gentle steps up to the bench, I knew that Kira was holding my hand. I asked the judge if he would please look at this picture of Kira and me while I read my statement. He agreed and I walked back to my post. I grabbed both sides of the podium and I began to speak with conviction. The sound of my own voice startled me. It was a sound, a tone I had never heard before. I kept reading. I read my statement from beginning to end. I was strong. I delivered a message my sister deserved. I was proud of myself. I knew wholeheartedly that I had helped her. I felt that I had in a sense saved her from the very evil lurking among us in the courtroom. I'm still so sad to have lost Kira so tragically and unfairly. She was such a beautiful, wonderful woman. I miss her every single day. She is still alive in my soul. And I can still hear the sound of her laughter. I hope I never lose that. Each year on October 2nd, I'm thankful that the monster is found guilty and is in prison where he belongs. In honor of my sister and many others, I'm an advocate for domestic violence awareness. I will continue to support the cause for as long as I have this gift of life. And now I'm gonna read to you the actual statement. Good afternoon, your honor. My name is Carrie Ann. Kira Steger was my sister. Kira and I were 14 months close in age. We shared a special bond similar to that of twins. We were very intuitive to each other. Kira and I shared only 348 months and 29 days together before Jeffrey Tervino took her life. I went into work the morning of February 24th, 2013. My day was supposed to consist of office work and looking forward to getting home to seeing my kids until I received a text message saying, I heard about your sister. Not understanding what that meant, I went searching for answers. I then logged onto Facebook to find a missing persons report of Kira in a clinic of patients, i yelled oh my god i just stared at the missing person's report in disbelief panic set in and my fingers shook barely able to dial the numbers to call my mother when i reached her she confirmed that kira was missing jeffrey trevino had called that morning and told her that kira had been missing for three days i immediately was struck with confusion trying to make sense of what was going on in the midst of my shock I tried to grasp onto any bit of information that could help. Hopeless, desperate, I called Jeffrey Trevino. He was of no help. His coldness, and immediate turn to reasoning, that Kira had left on her own, that she had disappeared due to a midlife crisis, made me nearly speechless and confused. I thought, that did not sound like my Kira and was not my Kira. He acted as though it was her fault. She was to blame for her disappearance. Such disgusting accusations, and I felt he was lying. I will never forget as I struggled to breathe how little emotion he had. Then, I caught that monster speaking about my sister in the past tense, and my panic intensified. He became explicit and upset and tried to correct what he had said. I was in utter despair. Wherever she was, I knew it was bad, and I was very afraid. I felt helpless. I reached for more to do, anything I could do to help her. The very next day, the morning of February 25th, 2013, I met my parents, and we traveled to Minnesota, Godspeed. Prior to our leaving, we found out Kira's car was found in the Mall of America parking lot, and there was blood in the trunk of the vehicle. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't accept it. I was sick to my stomach and I couldn't make clear of my thoughts. I was terrified for her. These minutes of travel felt like an eternity imagining what I would see. My mind raced and I thought, if that were her car, if my beautiful sister Kira's blood was in that car, my worst fears had come true she was gone. This trip... This trip of travesty was the first of many I would have to endure. I relived these feelings over and over again as I received additional information. I spent many hellish car rides over and over again to Minnesota, each time knowing more information regarding her disappearance. My family and I were requested to meet with homicide detectives. I was numb. I wasn't ready for what I was about to hear, even though my intuition had already broken me. My family was told that my sister Kira would not be found alive based on the details of their investigation. My family and I wept with extreme sadness. I could only imagine all of the possibilities of horror that she had gone through, and that she was gone forever. The relay of loss was just the beginning of our nightmare. It became my family's main objective to find Kira and bring her home to us to rest in peace. We searched day and night, every moment, wondering what kind of condition we would find her in. I remember one particular day when we were searching at Keller Lake and I found myself speaking. I found myself speaking out loud to her while we were hiking through the snow in the woods. Hoping I would get some direction, I whispered, Kira, where are you? I looked at every branch and every print in the snow. We searched for weeks. After the first search, I began having vivid nightmares, one of which, that her body was shoved in a tree trunk. Thereafter, every tree I saw that was tipped over, every log I thought her fragile body might be able to fit in. I crawled on my hands and knees in the snow, looking for her, all the while hoping she would talk to me. I was so focused on trying to find her that it didn't sink in. I was looking for my sister's dead body. Looking back, I wonder what if it had been me that would have found her. I wasn't prepared for that, but I had to look for her. There were many weekends spent axing at the ice, moments in time that I will never get back. I I have lost so much joy from these experiences. All the while this was consuming my life, I had a life that was feeling the devastation of it all at home. I tried copious ways to handle a newfound terror that drove my existence. As soon as Kira went missing, I was unable to function and maintain the normalcy of my life. I had my friends checking up on me regularly, worried about me. I felt like a walking coma just trying to stay alive. I couldn't remember day to day what had happened just moments before. I was so traumatized. I found myself struggling. It paralyzed me. Possibly the worst effect was a strain on my ability to be the mother that I was used to being for my two beautiful children. They couldn't understand why I was away from home for so long. My children understand that Kira was hurt, and they cry for her often. They are children, so they are limited to understanding. They are confused like we all are, but more so. They will have the burden of this tragedy on them for the rest of their lives, infectiously affecting their development as their minds are being molded. I fear the day they are old enough to discover what really happened to their beloved Ankira. I fear the day they are old enough to not only realize how terrible people in this world can be, but that one of those disgusting people took their Ankira from them. Not only will they suffer from this, but our entire family will miss having Kira in our lives for so many important moments. It's still unreal that Kira won't get to see her niece and nephew graduate at kindergarten, let alone watching them receive their high school diplomas. I have to think that not only will Kira miss out on her niece and nephew's milestones, but Kira will also never get to have her own kids. She will not be able to use those motherly instincts and skills to have her own babies and watch them reach their own milestones. I would have so much... I would have so enjoyed sharing experiences of being a mother with her. I never imagined I would be growing older without her. And the Christmases and birthdays will pass. Instead of her beautiful smile lighting up the celebration, there will be a hole where she should be. A hole that will be constant and painful for the rest of my life. Jeffrey Trevino had months to confess that he murdered Kira. As the trial was delayed not once but twice, Jeffrey Trevino had months to tell the truth and he intentionally did not. He made my family suffer as we tried so desperately to find Kira and anxiously awaited the trial. We were consistently disappointed by his selfishness and neglect. If Jeffrey Trevino is the honorable military vet the defense says he is, then why has he displayed such dishonesty and disrespect to his wife and his wife's family? This murder was not a crime of passion. Jeffrey Trevino is military trained. He has been trained to have behavioral control as well as as control of emotion and rage. This monster is a calculated criminal. He used his training as a weapon to commit and conceal the murder of my sister. Your Honor, Jeffrey Trevino, intentionally murdered my sister. He deserves no mercy. He is a monster that robbed my sister of her life, her freedom, her dreams, her family, her happiness, with consideration of these factors, give Jeffrey Turbino the maximum sentencing of 30 years, 360 months. I only had the luxury of spending 348 months and 29 days with my sister Kira alive and well for the safety of our family and others. Put Jeffrey Turbino in prison where he belongs, with maximum sentencing. Thank you.
2: Wow.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, that right there is a statement from a brave woman. Yep. Carrie Ann, you did your sister justice.
2: And then some.
1: You You, you are brave. That is what bravery looks like. Yep. Absolutely. Unacceptable that it was only that you, you had to beg to even get that much time to get a maximum sentence of mm-hmm. just 30 years, just that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's unacceptable. I have questions for you if you don't mind.
2: Yeah,
3: absolutely. I wanted to mention that the, the 27 and a half years that he ended up getting,
1: That's um, right, he didn't even get the 30.
3: No.
2: Did he get time served? Is that why?
3: Yeah. Oh, I
2: hate when they do that. So
3: um, the, with with that sentencing and that upward departures I had mentioned before, that's unprecedented in the state of Minnesota. It's this was a big that this cura's case was a big case. And I am just, I mean, it's it's very strange to say I'm grateful that he got that because I think he does deserve much more.
1: I get what you're saying. I do. He could have gotten much less. He could have
3: have gotten seven to 10 years.
1: I I
2: couldn't imagine that. Uh, That would have been even more disgusting than the 30 years. And the
3: the aggravating factors were, you know, causing pain and anguish to family. And I'm Mm -hmm. paraphrasing, um, you know, hiding a, a body and in and cu- and the other one was something along the lines of like deterring police or something like that. Oh well, yeah. And
2: what about withholding truths? You can't yeah. uh,
1: Let, let's not forget the fact that he took the life of a beautiful individual. Yep. That should be number one here.
2: And, and forced to drag her name through the mud with fake allega-
1: uh, allegations. That's right. the worst. Here's that. the problem that I have that we haven't touched on yet. And it's something that's been in my head and it makes me wonder, because, so my girlfriend, we're not even married, and I absolutely love her family, mm-hmm. and they love me, mm-hmm. and my family loves her family, and my family loves her. Right. What I what I don't understand is where was his family in all of this? Where were they? Yes. What were they doing? What were they doing to help? That's like right. I'm so confused on that aspect because mm. if my girlfriend went missing. My family would be going crazy trying to find her. Right. They, they would be asking all the questions. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I don't, I don't get it. So that, that's one of my big questions mm-hmm. for you, Carrie. And what happened here?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. In fact, um, I, I don't recall the Trivino family ever coming up, doing any searching for Kira. Wow. Um, that could be outside of you know my knowledge, but I've, I had gone to a good number of searches and I don't recall that. Um, they loved Kira so much. Jeff's family was so good to Kira. They loved her so much. It is not even, I don't even have that in question at all. Um, I think the loss of Kira was devastating for them. Too, I mean, and in, in you know what attracted me to your with your post about Gabby and Brian, the Petito, you know, case was I had mentioned my comment was something like, "Yeah, these families have lost a son and a yes. and yeah. a daughter." You know, they have both lost someone, yeah. um, and this
1: was. I think that's something that know, goes unnoticed to some people that they're both families suffer, and it's right. horrible.
3: Right. And, and, you know, regardless of, you know, what ended up happening with Brian, or if he was, you know, would have been caught and gone to prison, that is still a loss. Going to prison is still a loss for a child. And, and I really feel for their family. Um, I, 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 I believe they to the last of my knowledge, they believe of his innocence, which is um, surprising uh, to me based on all of the evidence in the case
2: and um, charges, etc. They think that he. They believe the story of. Yeah, it's you know, the yeah, drug deal going bad, and that I, blood I in I the house know. wasn't from her. You know, and I, I don't think know. It's wishful. What, I agree.
1: I yeah, that I think the it's more thing. wishful. Ignorance, well, wishful it, it, bliss, blissful ignorance, I think yeah, it's called, like, I don't know the exact word. Pulling for. yourself
2: away from it because you can't possibly believe that your child could have done something like this. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but the yeah. evidence I should know. speak differently. Right.
3: And you know, um, right. So there's there's the evidence, right? And um, I, I could see where... I mean, I, I don't know. I guess I can't even say that. I'm not them. I don't know what they're thinking and feeling. Right. I don't think they want to believe that their son would do something like that. But I genuinely know for uh, with 100% certainty that they loved Kira and that the loss of Kira is absolutely devastating to them. And they've lost a son that's now in prison. Yeah. And sure, I mean, I do feel for them. I um, have, yeah. you know, I find it frustrating um you know i i don't recall them they did come up for the trial
2: um
1: yeah but that i have you, mixed emotions on were they let, coming up to support their son or were they coming up let me to ask, be there for the right let reasons? me
2: ask you this do you think possibly they were advised by his lawyer
1: to not talk to any of you and not I believe that I don't even think you have to ask that I yeah. think that is definite closing of the that, ranks absolutely that could be a, a situation
2: that happened and they maybe they wanted to but we're told that they couldn't because they did believe their son was innocent I don't know I mean
1: yeah but at the end of the day if yeah. I'm in that situation no one's gonna tell me I can't do right something to find somebody I love and care about right it's just not gonna happen yeah. I don't really care yep it's unacceptable yeah, I
3: mean that could be, they could have been given that advice. I just am not, obviously I'm not privy to that. Right. But, um,
1: have you had any communication with them since?
3: No, I, because of my, you know, my last knowing, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, secluded. I've intentionally, you know, done that for really my own safety. Yeah, I don't blame um, you for that. And, in privacy. Mm-hmm. And, I, um, you know, grief is a really hard thing. Um, people deal with it very differently. Um, I don't, I am not them. I'm sure, um, this has really uprooted and changed their lives as well on many levels too. Um, I, you know, my message, you know, really would, it's just really hard. It's just really hard. This is just it's a terrible tragedy. Um, I appreciate the way they've shown my sister, their family um, has shown my sister so much love and she loved them. And I'm sure this is really hard for them.
1: This makes it hard. Absolutely.
2: Um, Looking back now, after all this has been done, do you, did you think you saw some, Warning signs, maybe, that you didn't know warning signs?
3: I think the most observant, you know, sign that I noticed was just her, you know, coming home less frequently. I see. Um, You probably just thought she was busy
2: with her life and her husband and, I mean...
3: Well, and I was having, I mean, I had had, I just had had my second child in 2008. So when they got married, like I couldn't go to the wedding because it was in Costa Rica and, um, I was pregnant at the time. And so I actually couldn't make it, but, um, I don't know. I just, she just didn't come home as much. I mean, she would, she, when she would come home though, like she'd have sleepover. She was so fun. Um, you know, she'd wear like she came over one time and she had this like onesie cat in the hat. Oh cute. Um, like full adult, you know, sleeper jammie on and like we all had we had a sleepover with my two little kids and like, that's that's Aunt Kira. You know? Yeah. She is just has the most beautiful soul and, and I when I say that I would have loved to been, you know, have have an experience of, of being a mother with her, um I mean that. But you were
1: robbed of that. That's yes, that's the worst part. Yep.
3: Yeah. It's just so many of those little things that, you know, you, you think, Oh, I wonder, or I'd love to share this with her. I'd love to be in this moment with her. I wish right. she was here for this.
1: Well, I believe um, she knows, and I believe she, she sees you. this yeah. and sees the yeah. fight that you've put up for her.
3: You know, earlier you had mentioned, you know, I'm sure that there are people that have gotten out of, you know, situations because of her story. and, And that's true. In fact, most recently, on the anniversary of of her death on February 21st, um, Minnesota United is a group that was created on Facebook. um, Originally started when Kira, um, Mandy Matula, and Danielle Jelnick were all missing at the same time. And they were all in the same area. And so it was kind of like the the Community and the public was wondering if it was possibly like some sort of serial thing related, yeah. Yeah, it's it just very strange. But it turns out that all three of them were it was an intimate violence, domestic really? violence, yeah. They all so sad, so sad. So, um, Minnesota, Minnesota United was created, um, in their memory, and now the group continues to live on on social media by sharing missing persons reports and updates and um it's just absolutely phenomenal the work that has advanced you know in this effort since um since we you know the like the founding reason why it started um was because of these girls it's just grown so significantly and has helped so many people but wow on February 21st, um, last month, when Minnesota United made a post, um, about remembering Kira, a woman had wrote on, um, on a comment that said, uh, her story and of the others is what helped me get away from my abuser. Wow. I drew strength. Yeah. I drew strength from them and planned my escape. So thank you for sharing their stories because of them.
2: I survived. Wow. That is amazing. That's powerful. It's so powerful. It just goes to show that in tragedy, there can be some light that comes out of it.
1: I know as we get ready to wrap this episode up, there's a lot of stuff that numbers that we give you websites to visit any of that. The only one of significance that I can even think of mentioning today is the national domestic violence hotline. It's 1-800-799-7233 1-800-799-7233. You can also send a text stating start to 88788 guys. There's nothing more that we can really say on this. If you see something, say something If you see somebody who's suffering, reach out to them. They may be embarrassed and not want to talk about it, but just let them know that you're there. Just be careful how you approach things because you don't know if they're being monitored or how they're being monitored. And you you just don't understand. And you don't know. Carrie Ann, I cannot thank you enough for coming on and telling us the story of your, your wonderful and amazing sister. Like it, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. I, I Like I said, from the bottom of me and Charity's heart, we thank you for coming on and sharing this case. And if it just reaches one person, that's it. Just one person. I feel like we've done something. Thank you so much for coming on today.
2: And I also yes. want to say thank you for sharing your personal account of it because a lot of times you hear the story of the, the victim. You don't hear the story of yeah. the family members. And that's so important.
1: And I know how that, hard it was for you. And
2: My gosh. I mean, to say that I... And I know Mark feels the same way because I was looking at him. Um, we are so touched by this, and I will never forget, Kara. I promise you never. And we so appreciate you sharing this story.
3: Thank you so much for saying that. I'm, I am, it's important for me to be here. I want to thank you for giving me this time and for letting me speak. Um, for letting me speak. Thank you and please, yes, thank you for saying that you're not going to forget Kira Charity. Absolutely. That, that touched my soul so much, and and I, I do this for her and for for everyone else. Like, Speak up and say something. Reach out. There are so many resources. There's local resources. There's state resources. There's federal resources, and Please speak up because we must break the cycle of domestic violence.
1: This is a great start. Guys, thank you for joining us today. Carrie Ann, thank you for coming on and sharing the story. And we'll see you on the next episode. Have a good one, guys.